Welcome to the Momnificent Podcast. This is the place where we help parents live a happy, healthy life with their kids. We're going to show you how to connect with your child and help them even in their most difficult moments as we hear from experts in the field. I'm your host, Dr. Karin Jakubowski, an international speaker, public school principal, and former struggling student. The Momnificent Podcast equips parents with science-based strategies to help you live a happy, healthy life with your kids. Welcome. Sounds great. So I'm Nicole Runyon. I am a psychotherapist. I specialize in seeing children. I've been practicing for 21 years. And uh, most recently, I have been more parent coaching than doing psychotherapy with children, because I find actually that um, if the parents have the tools and the coping skills to help their kids, then the kids actually get better faster uh, than they do if they enter into psychotherapy and the whole process sort of takes longer. Um, So I have been speaking and writing uh, just to kind of get this message out there to parents that, you know, your instincts are are right 99.9% of the time. And, um, you know, just helping parents connect to that and follow those instincts so that they can stay connected to their children. I love that. So so I found Nicole, I don't know, Nicole, months ago, and you and I did a podcast interview together. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm Karin Jakubowski. I'm an elementary public school principal and host of the podcast, Momnificent, that I've had going on four years now. Um, and Nicole, she, <laughs> one morning, I am like scrolling um, it's Instagram before school hours. <laughs> did you see when that message came in? I mean, it was like super early, wasn't it? I think it was one early morning. And all of a sudden, like I stopped what I'm doing because Nicole is saying, hold on, I wrote it down. She's saying, we are failing our boys. And I was like, wait, what is she going to say next? And um, I immediately messaged Nicole and I was like, you and I have to jump on a call because that is so near and dear to my heart because I do feel like we are not um, giving our boys justice with all the difficulties and challenges that they're facing. So I am just going to start by just like, opening it up for you, Nicole, like what made you say that? Why are you saying that? What are you seeing? And then we'll just jump right in there. Yep, sure. So so, uh, over the course of time, um, probably in the last few years, I have been seeing more boys and having more inquiries for uh, therapy for boys than ever before. Uh, It was uh, pretty much all girls. At one point, about eight or nine years ago, my whole practice was filled with adolescent girls. And that now is, that tide is shifting. And I'm not going to say I see, you know, more boys than girls, but I certainly see more boys than I ever have before. And what I notice is there's, there's sort of a trend with them. And the trend is, is that early on, they're uh, not really successful in, in school. Uh, they're not successful with um, just activities of daily living. Um, and they struggle with their executive functioning. And so in my uh, opinion, I think they're being grossly misdiagnosed and overdiagnosed with ADD. Um, I've started even telling parents ADD equals boy. You know, you really do (laughs) have to look in that way that their their brains work differently from ours. That's the point I'm trying to make. And early on in school, 
girls are very successful because they don't they don't have that like physical energy that boys have and so they're able to sit still they're able to listen they're able to um you know complete an assignment all the way through whereas many boys need physical activity and that's actually how they learn but they're not getting a lot of physical activity or enough and so they're being labeled and pathologized and so that that's fine maybe maybe that could be helpful to them in school they get a little extra help but what ends up happening to their psychology is they internalize it and they start telling themselves they're bad they're not good enough um, they develop shame and you know there's that kind of boy jerky mentality that shows up in adolescence um they're not inherently jerks they actually just have a lot of feelings that they haven't been able to communicate or get resolved for. And so then they end up having conflict and aggression like later on and then more shame, right? Because society now is reacting to that by calling it toxic masculinity. And that I don't agree with because we're really sort of all along the way, not giving them what they need. And so how can we expect them to have uh, a sunny, kind, gentlemanly disposition when uh, just from very early on, they're not getting their needs met. So what are, uh, I mean, I know every everyone you work with, it, it's, it's confidential, but what, maybe what's the theme of what parents are contacting you with in regards to what, what, what behaviors are they seeing from their child that they're like, Nicole, help yes. me with this? Well, mainly it's behavioral problems in school, um, the grades, uh, poor grades in school. And then at home, there's a lack of ability to complete, you know, an, an executive functioning activity. Like, you know, you might say, okay, pick up your socks, um, you know, uh, wipe down your, the bathroom and clean your room. And they might do one of those things, but they don't complete it. Multi-step. Yeah, the multi stop saying that executive functioning and so there's often conflict there's conflict at home because again they're unsuccessful they internalize that and then it's just more overwhelm of i can't do it and i'm not yeah, good it's, enough it's like that self-fulfilling prophecy and boys their psychology is they need to feel strong and so it's actually all of this is sort of the opposite of what they need they're feeling weak and not good enough and what's behind um actually what they need is they need to feel strong and capable and independent wow. and they're coming that well, well i love the part where you said that they are like feeling jerky but they're not jerks because i believe that to my core and early on probably over a decade ago i heard the phrase kids do well if they can and i was like that is so true. They actually can do well. They want to do well. And, and a lot of times when they have the issues you're just mentioning, it's so easy for us to look at them and be like, well, they're just being manipulative. Well, they're just doing that because they want to be, you know, a jerk. And, and actually in, in their heart of hearts and at their core, I don't believe that's true. I believe they want to do well and there's something hindering and that's up to us to figure out uh, what to do to help them. A hundred percent. I love that you just said yeah. that. Yes. Uh, so what, what are you, um, so <laughs> if you had a magic wand, what would you hope educators and schools did for these kids? 
I would hope that before third grade, uh, because there's a big emotional growth spurt at nine, um, but before third grade, I would hope that boys got more physical activity in their day um, and even incorporate learning with physical activity because that's how their brains are gonna process the information. And once they then get to that point, that maturity point at nine, they're more able to be expected to sit still and to listen and to complete a task. Those are things we should absolutely expect of them, uh, especially going into middle school and high school. I'm not, not in any way saying that, you know, they should just be allowed to have their head in the clouds all day in school. But developmentally, uh, I would love for people to understand that early on, like, like for example, in kindergarten, it's going to be really hard for them to sit still and, and listen and learn the things they need to learn without physical activity. And most schools, okay, I'll speak for the schools that I know in Delaware here, the kids only get a 30-minute recess. Yeah. And it wasn't until two things happened. COVID happened and all the teachers and I were like, way, way too much FaceTime. We put in two recesses. And then I did another interview with, with uh, uh, her last name, Shoemaker. And she wrote two books, actually multiple books. And in the interview, she's telling me when she was a kid, they had three recesses in elementary school. And I was like, how did they even plan for that? And she said, that's where they're learning that social skill growth part and as well. And I'm going to tie it to the kids just need the, the, the energy and the movement. So we have two, okay, they're like shorter recesses, like 20 minutes in kindergarten and first grade. And you know that my second graders, especially the boys, are asking me this year, why don't we have a second recess? I need a second recess. I just want to play. I just want to run around. And I'm like, holy moly, like they they feel oh, it. 100%. They know what uh -huh. they Yes. And, and it's not that learning can't happen in the playtime. That's the other thing for educators to understand is that there's all kinds of learning that can happen, especially when they're outside in nature. Yeah. yeah. And you told, so we have an outdoor classroom and the teachers sign up to take their kids out. Now, now, granted, like the teachers are all on a continuum of like comfortability levels to just take the class outside for the period and, and do their lessons. And one teacher, uh, she was in second grade last year. She would take the kids out and she literally would take their worksheet with them and she would say, fill out one question and then go pick a dandelion, fill out the next question and go pick another dandelion. And just that movement incorporated out in nature with your work. She had, she didn't have any problems with the kids getting their work oh, that's done. That's wonderful. Isn't that wonderful? And then something that something that I sometimes do have done recently, even with kids, like the teacher might call me and be like, you know, this one student's really kind of um, just just needing a little bit of redirection, and it's kind of disrupting the class a little bit, you know. So sometimes I will work with them maybe outside the classroom for a few minutes and try to have them do one one thing that they like that preferred, non-preferred, back and forth. And like, okay, what do you want to do for five minutes? And then we're going to work for five minutes. And then we're going to do the other activity for five minutes. I've done that with two different boys specifically in two different lower grade levels. And you know that they literally will tell me, I really think this helps me. I really like when we do that. Like something as simple as just mixing it up. Oh, absolutely. Um, is, there, is there anything else that you can recommend maybe to a teacher listening to this? Or I know it, it, we've got like the education and then we got the home life, which might be different recommendations. <laughs> Yeah, I think I love what you said about just switching it up every five minutes. Like I, I actually, my son um, is one of these boys and, you know, in seventh grade, he started to go to a new school where they switch classes. Yeah. 
and and there was a lot of stairs and it was a big building and there's a lot of walking and he came home after like a week and said i love that i love that i get that time in between classes to move and so even just that if wow. if you like let them go out in the hall and go for a little walk and then come back and they'll be ready to kind of pay attention again um and same at home you know i think uh, you know, you know this. I talk a lot about technology and how that affects uh, children's development, and especially for a boy. If boys are now on video games for hours and hours and extended periods of time, and they're not getting outside, they're not, you know, getting that that aggression out that they need. Mm -hmm. um, and so, at home, parents can understand that there should really be limits on how much they're in front of a screen and get them outside or get them active and get them playing. Because one thing that happens, well, the main thing that happens is that internalized shame is so painful that they wanna go somewhere else. They wanna you know, take their mind somewhere else. And that's when we start seeing the executive functioning issues. Oh, geez. And then I like how you were talking about like boys actually need to feel strong. Like they have that sort of, sort of power feeling. And it reminds me of a book. Have you ever heard of the book Wild at Heart? I have heard of that, yeah. That is such a good book that helps us realize what men, guys, boys, that, it just reminded me of that, of that, that, that feeling that they need to have. And part of that is also like exploring and which is getting outside and getting, getting, getting out in nature. Um, so what is, is, is there something that you've recommended to parents that a, a parent came back and was like, oh my gosh, Nicole, thank you so much for saying that, um, this is, this is what, what happened or was a result of that, that maybe one of our listeners, it could be a takeaway for them. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, dads really play a key role here. And so dads don't, dads can really engage with their boys. I encourage rough housing, um, you know, just active physical play whenever possible. I think um, we tend to shy away from that in today's culture. We wanna keep the kids safe and everything, you know, has to be just the, the, the right way. And I think what happens is mothers kind of enter into the picture. Maybe they get scared. Maybe they don't, you know, they don't like that kind of rough play. Um, but it's really important for dads to feel like they can do that with their boys. Uh, and the other thing I suggest is for dads to model that it's okay to be vulnerable and talk about your feelings and share things that maybe you you as a boy think you shouldn't be talking about. Um, and that's hard for men, right? Because we're finally just talking about boys now. We weren't talking about that a generation ago or the generation before that. So um, dads can know it's okay to, to share that with their boys. I love that. And um, I'm just looking at my other notes that I took when you were giving that video recently. Um, Traditional schools often miss the mark on accommodating boys' dynamic learning style and play is key. Is there anything else around that that you wanna say maybe for us as educators? Um, well, just about the child development, that uh, early on, they need the play, they need the physical activity, and you can incorporate learning into that. Uh, later, like after third grade, certainly by middle school and high school, I think boys need a lot of structure and, and to an extent some strictness because they have a hard time sort of keeping themselves under control in those kinds of environments. So giving them what they need early on helps them to respond well to the structure and the discipline. So what I mean by that is, you know, they are, they do have a tendency to uh, 
want to check out and not focus. And, um, and I see a lot of teenage boys not being motivated. Um, they're sort of stuck in, I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know where I'm going. Um, and so having that structure is important for them to, you know, kind of be contained to figure it out. And I'm surprised you said the ADD for boys, because I thought we were diagnosing and seeing more ADHD in boys and it was the ADD in girls that we were missing easily, but you, you actually said ADD in the boys. Oh, I, I see so many boys with that diagnosis. That's in fact, that's the diagnosis they start out with. Because like I say, early on, it looks like they're having executive functioning issues, but it's actually that they're not getting what they need. Huh. So then so then later on, that, that does turn into ADD. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy because oh, okay. they internalize it. It, doesn't, it feels painful because they're not successful. They're, they're looking at the girls who are far and above more successful than they are. That makes them not good. Right then they, they want to disassociate from that oh. because they don't want to have to go there with their feelings. Oh, now there's a lot of, you know, we've got Gabor Mate talking about trauma and how um, ADD stems from trauma. And so I'm not going to call this process trauma that we're talking about. I would call it like one of, it would be an ACE, an adverse childhood experience. Yes, I know that. But, but that's one, you know, so I right. would, Trauma, but I would certainly say it's enough for them to want to check out later on. Oh man, we have so much to do to help them, Nicole, don't we? Oh my goodness. You no, know, it's interesting because we, we had so much to do a generation ago for girls and we did it. We did a great job, but we sort of forgot about the boys all along the way. Well, and, and nobody's teaching teachers what to do with these kids, with these behaviors. I mean, you don't go to school as a teacher to learn the whole behavior piece. You're learning the whole academic and classroom management and all those things. And so it literally feels like we don't have the tools and the capability. And it's so easy to take it personally what they're doing in that moment. I mean, it is, it, it's, well, it's rough. Well, and I'll say, you know, because I've been speaking to teachers um, and administrators and I, what I tell them is it really, it's sort of a burden that they inherited. It's to your point, it's not something you learned. It's not your role with them. And I think it's really, it's a, it's a parent issue and it's a, it's a cultural societal issue. And so because you have them for so long during the day, you've now become in a sense responsible, but it's certainly not what you've signed up for. And so I do, I, I feel for, for educators and I want to be helpful to them because you're right. I mean, you went to school to learn how to educate. You didn't go to school to learn how to modify behavior. Right. Yeah. That that like a behavior analyst or psych psychologist would, you know, have those unique skills set for it. Um, is there anything you would say to a teacher who just is really struggling with a student maybe right now and it's hard not to take it so personally and now it's like their mental health that they're trying to struggle and deal with? What would you say to them right now? I would say that all you can do is work on you because it really comes from you. If you're if you've worked through your triggers, then you can hold the space for them and you can be more neutral for what they're bringing to you because what they're bringing to you has nothing to do with you. It's coming from home or it's coming from their environment in some way. So I always encourage teachers to just 
do do your own work your own emotional work and and that's what it is at the end of the day you we all have those kids that you know we love we love them all but we all have those kids who are who really get us and you got to ask yourself okay what what in me is coming up when i'm in front of this kid because chances are it's something you need to work through yourself yeah that's so true that and that can be really hard oh, so that can be really hard to hear but that is a really enlightening and eye-opening piece um and in closing i i did pull a statistic um out that uh was a fact of one in ten children in the u.s have been diagnosed with adhd and boys are more than twice as likely as girls to be diagnosed yes yeah and this is, you know, I happen to think it's grossly overdiagnosed. Uh, you know, we can see the symptoms. They, like I said in my video, you, they can fit the criteria, and we, because we see the symptoms, but we really have to be asking ourselves what's behind it. And so much can be done to to sort of change it and help their symptoms, so we don't get to like the point of needing a diagnosis for extra help or therapy or medication. Um, and the other thing too that I didn't mention is nutrition. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we really now have a lot of understanding of what processed foods and sugary foods are doing to the brain. Um, executive functioning doesn't fully develop until 25. So kids are already gonna be struggling with that. And so what ends up happening when you eat the junk food is your gut gets inflamed. Well, that inflammation goes all over your body, yes. including the brain. Yes. Yes. And so then parts of the brain don't work. So we already have executive functioning that's still developing. And then now we've inflamed. It's not going to work. Right. So, yeah. So really, um, okay. we, we need to be thinking about that. And, and when you ask what can teachers do, I would love <laughs> for teachers to stop giving candy as a reward, um, especially for a boy. You know, you've got you've got sugar and then you've got um, preservatives and dye. A lot of kids are actually allergic to that red dye and they don't even know it. And they end up, you know, having like hyperactive reactions to it. Mm -hmm. So if teachers want to give rewards, um, it actually should come more in the form of emotional rewards, like helping them understand like, wow, look what you did. Like, are you proud of yourself? What's that feeling? How does that feel? Um, because that that reward system loop, at the end of the day, it's a quick fix. Yeah. You know, you're going to get the behavior you want immediately, but it doesn't lead to long-lasting substantial change. And you know what I started asking kids recently in, in those challenging moments? I Not that I'm going to give them what they say, but I ask, I've started asking when I think and remember it, what do you need right now? What do you want right? What do you want? To just help me understand and get behind their thinking and then use that to either we can do something similar before we do the next section of work. And like I, like I was mentioning that preferred and non-preferred. So that's a, that's, a, that's a question that I've been trying and practicing. I like that. That's really, I think that's awesome because you're, you're really engaging them with asking inside. And usually what do they we we as the educators we just are thinking of what I want you to do what you should be doing what we're all doing uh, it's it's it, it is how we run the system and yet it really is all about a controlled what I want from you and so I don't know I think education somehow it's gonna have to like get a little like, like 
facelift in some way to really help and, and, and support this very issue that we're talking well, about? Well, I think I think a part of that is actually necessary because that's how we we learn how to be successful in the world. So it's perfectly fine for teachers to have that expectation. I just think age appropriately. So like I say, by third grade, we really want to be expecting them to do what we're asking of them because that's a skill they're going to need in life, whatever they do, right? And it's also a skill that we need in our relationships because relationships are conditional. So I, I ask for what I need, you ask for what you need, and we try to give that to each other. So these are all good skills, and I have no problems with schools having that, that control. I think that's important, just age appropriately. And Nicole, how can someone find and follow you? Yep, so I am on Instagram here at iGeneration Mental Health. I'm on LinkedIn at Nicole Runyon, and I do have a website. It's under construction right now. It will be done uh, April 19th. It'll be live, um, and it's NicoleRunyon.com, and I write a blog, so um, people can actually click the link in my bio and um, download a free resource for parents that I've created, and then that signs them up for my email list, and then they get um, bi-monthly um, blog, blog postings from me. I love that. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for joining me. And those of you listening, if you have a question for Nicole, add it in the comments. What came up for you while we were talking today? Share with us in the comments. We would love to um, engage back and forth in helping each other as we're growing along in this topic. So, Nicole, I will see you on the next the next video you make that strikes me. I'm going to be like, let's go live again, Nicole. And, um, yeah, thank you so much for everything you're doing because parents, um, you know, they, they, they need help and sometimes they don't know where to turn. So thank you for all the support that you're giving to parents right now and educators and our public school and our educational system and administrators. Thank you so much for being you and what you show up to bring every day. Oh, thank you. I appreciate your perspective as a school principal. I think that's really amazing. And so we've got for this episode of the Momnificent Podcast enjoyed this episode, I would be honored if you would subscribe and rate if you really liked it. I know wherever you're listening right now, it might not be the best time to leave a comment, but feel free to leave a question, a review, or a comment at any time. And until next time, remember, don't worry, be happy.